0: happening everywhere it doesn't just have to be at super fancy really well-funded massive theaters it can Mm -hmm. happen anywhere where there is a space for people to perform and a space for an audience to be that's all you need to create something transformative and beautiful and it's thrilling that that's happening all over the country on so many different kinds of scales
1: I'm Julie Nemitz, former for-profit marketing executive to Fortune 500 brands turned evangelist for marketing excellence and innovation in live theater. This is In the Green Room. It wasn't long ago that I was racking up frequent flyer miles, traveling the country, leading digital media and marketing for some of the world's top brands, and I was exhausted. Worse yet, I felt utterly empty. It was then I had an aha moment. I can take all of that I learned over the last 15 years climbing the corporate ladder in for-profit marketing, making billions for those top brands, mind you, and use it for good to help my true passion, the theater, thrive in this brave new digital world fast forward through a pandemic and lessons learned and you'll see a happy me today leading regional and community theaters to grow with marketing innovations, strategies and kicking content if you're a theater maker feeling overwhelmed by the lightning pace of marketing changes lack the confidence or resources to implement new marketing tactics or just want to find support to create a theater that makes an impact in your community you are in the right place Now grab some coffee and a cardboard cup, and let's get on with the show. Well, hello there, all my favorite theater makers. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I am continuing my summer of interviews with two powerhouses. Few things get me as excited as when I get to meet smart exciting and innovative theater makers and that's exactly who I'm bringing to the podcast today. We're going to be talking to two of the founders and creators of Uproar Theatrics, Kyle Holmes and Laura Hall. Uproar Theatrics is on a mission to open up the theatrical pipeline to bring thrilling fresh theater to the people, all the people, not just the theaters in New York City. And that means your theater. I cannot wait to share these two guests with you. And you might even find a couple of titles of shows that you and your theater should seriously consider. Laura and Kyle, welcome. Hello. How are you? Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about today's topic. We're talking a lot about content and how marketing and content play together so wonderfully and so nicely as we all try to keep theater moving forward. And I came upon Uproar Theatrics during the pandemic and uh, was so happy to hear and see new ways of thinking in terms of licensing and creating new content for theaters. And I figured what better place than this podcast to have Laura and Kyle come talk to us. So I would love to start this whole conversation off with you two telling me what is Uproar Theatrics? uh, How was the company formed? And and tell me about the backstory.
2: So Uproar, Um, Upper Theatrics, we're an all-digital licensing company. We're actually the only um, entirely 100% digital licensing company. So all of our materials and everything is um, sent digitally. We don't do any shipping of any hard copies or any printing. Um, And it was kind of born out of these conversations we were having with each other about how we felt like the show development development, to licensing pipeline had gotten really stagnant as far as um, it, it seems like that shows needed to have a presence in New York City before they were available to be licensed um, everywhere else in the world. And we kind of kept coming back to this idea that maybe what was best for audiences in New York City wasn't necessarily what was best for everyone else in the world. And so that was kind of like the, the starting place that, that kicked us off.
0: Yeah, we really wanted to uh, investigate how to break down the barriers to entry for licensing. Uh, And because we're a new, young, agile company, we're able to offer immediate free perusals. So if you want to read a piece in its entirety, you can do it right away for free instead of waiting for the copy to get shipped and things like that. Um, Because we have uncoupled uh, licensing from publishing, we are able to do that. Uh, So it's a, a nice, fast fast track way to learn about new pieces that we're really excited about. Uh, Similarly with the all digital materials, it allows our creators to continually update their pieces. If they want to tweak some language or change a song, they can, they can send us the new PDF and that's the next uh, available version on our website. So it's quite exciting to see pieces continue to grow and change and not stay stagnant.
1: Laura, what's your role in the company? I'm head of
0: acquisitions right now, so right. I am the one finding and investigating and doing deep dives all over the internet, trying to find beautiful new pieces that we really, really believe in and want to help promote and shed some light on and get wind at their sales.
1: Love it, love it. And, and Kyle, what about you?
2: I am running all of our licensing with all of our customers. Um, I was a high school theater teacher for for 10 years, and so I was on the other side of this relationship. And just really feel like I've got a decent pulse on on what people are looking for from from the experience and and how we can you know kind of serve them in a in a better way.
1: High school theater teachers are a rare breed and should be celebrated <laughs> and put onto the mount of holy <laughs> wonderfulness forever. <laughs> um, I bow to you. I bow to you. Uh,
2: I developed a lot of patience over. <laughs>
1: Indeed. <laughs> and, and I dare say you probably got a lot of inspiration from the kids. I know I do when I get to, when I get the chance to work with young people.
2: Absolutely. I, you know, I was just um, I have one of my alumni is graduating from college this week. And so I was up in Ashland, Oregon, over the last weekend to see her final showcase. Oh. And just it's so fun to, to stay in touch with them and, and see where yeah. they go. And especially the ones that have found a way to keep theater and art very present in their lives, too.
1: Yes, absolutely. Now, could you maybe one of you um, explain to me a little bit more about, is there like a specific mission that you have? Like, what is your goal with Opera? What's your goal with the company?
0: We want to uh, help democratize the theater making process and open up some more channels. Like Kyle mentioned before, what's best for New York theater isn't necessarily the only best option for elsewhere. Uh, Oftentimes these pieces get siloed into funnels where they have to trim down their cast sizes and get uh, to be really appealing to uh, co-producers to be able to fundraise. And oftentimes that changes the aesthetic of the piece. So by the time something makes it to a first class production in New York, it could be very different than how the piece started sometimes. Uh, And we all know and love some beautiful small scale pieces that probably wouldn't have a huge, splashy New York entrance, but are Mm -hmm. sweeping the country. Um, So we're really trying to open up the storytelling first and foremost uh, to present all different stories, not just ones that are going to be commercially viable to be able to fill out a 2000 seat audience eight times a week in New York. When those shows, you know, have to pay back at what, at the lowest $8 million of investment and right. know how high it gets from there.
1: <laughs> right. You know what I love? Obviously, I love a good strategy. <laughs> and when I when I think about upper I know you've created sort of a bell curve that you use in, in mm. talking about theater, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love how that, you know, on the left side of the bell curve, you're talking about the, all the shows that we know about, about holding hands and stuff. And then you get to the top of the bell curve and that top of that curve Curve really is the world of that unlicensed, amazing shows that audiences deserve to see. And then at the right of the curve are the shows you paid a lot of money to go and see. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, But what I loved about this um, this particular strategy and the way you're communicating that is that you use the word deserve to see Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instead of should see or Mm -hmm. can see. And just that word alone helped me understand, I think uproar a little bit better, is that like, the, the place that theater should be playing in our lives and how important yeah. uh, community and regional theaters are to keeping the lifeblood of this industry going. Kyle um, and I
0: both have very specific, uh, formative memories of participating in local theater growing up. We both grew up in Northern California and we're absolutely transformed by the sense of community the sense of purpose uh, that it gave us both. And it absolutely colored me, you know, studying it professionally as, and working as a professional actor for mm-hmm. 15 years in New York City. That was incredibly formative. And it provided a sense of purpose, meaning, and a sense of aliveness that you can't find anywhere else, right. uh, at least for me. I mean, it's—it's it's, you have to bring your whole being into making the art Uh, And the fact that it's happening everywhere. It doesn't just have to be at super fancy, really well-funded, massive theaters. It can Mm -hmm. happen anywhere where there is a space for people to perform and a space for an audience to be. That's all you need to create something transformative and beautiful. And it's thrilling that that's happening all over the country on so many different kinds of scales.
1: It's time for the obligatory PSA, encouraging you to please sign up for my newsletter. I send out the newsletter, oh, I try to send it out at least three times a month, and it's filled with insights about the podcast. You'll also be the first to know about classes and workshops and guides that I'll be publishing at the Theater Marketing Lab. So head on over to julienemus.com, sign up for that newsletter, and I thank you.
2: When we, and it's so funny, when you when you ask people to tell you about their favorite, I think everyone really has, obviously, like professional commercial Broadway shows or Broadway national tours or, you know, whatever it is, like people have the their favorites there. But so often what we've found is you'll hear that everyone also has that memory of seeing that show mm-hmm. that only a few hundred people got to see on that re- special friday night in their community or in the city down the street or wherever and and nobody knows where it is now nobody nobody has heard Mm -hmm. of or seen that show again and there's something really special about feeling like you were a part of journey and that process and you were a part of of seeing it before other people knew about it right like that is that's a really special thing for a lot of people. And it's just that feeling. And the fun thing about the shows in our catalog is, you know, we believe almost all of them are on that journey. Right. And we believe almost all of them are going to elicit that feeling from people when they see it is they're going to be like, Oh, I, we got to see this and experience this before it became almost mainstreamed. Um, and there's just something really special about that. And we would love to give more of those shows those opportunities and those legs um, rather than them, you know, having that one mm-hmm. really great weekend run and, and disappearing off into the sunset forever.
1: <laughs> well, there's, yeah, absolutely. There's certainly I mean, the, the democratization of the internet. I mean, the fact that we have this incredibly powerful tool that is now guiding very a lot of the content we actually consume in the world, you know, every piece of content that we consume is somehow making its way through the internet, and and so it seems to be a ripe time for a company like uproar and a company like yours to really uh, use that to their advantage. and exactly what you guys are doing, which is which is amazing. One of the reasons why I wanted to have the both of you on on the podcast was because of conversations that I've had at different points over the past six months or so, as many theaters were finalizing their 2022-2023 seasons, where conversations would come up about, well, you know, you know, we're really feeling like the pressure that we need to do a Disney musical again, and we need to do go back to the oldies. We need to maybe even think about what does Neil Simon look like these days? You know, they're, they're going back to, mm. to places where a lot of them aren't, feeling super inspired. They're looking maybe for some new, um, not just new titles, but also some new ways to think about lesser known plays and lesser known musicals. You know, what are your thoughts there? Uh, You know, have you been able to talk and, and help guide some theaters that might help other theaters learn from you?
0: Absolutely. First of all, our heart absolutely goes out to anyone that managed to somehow survive this insane past few years Mm -hmm. and just the extraordinary hits that our community as a whole took. And yet people are still back in the ring, ready to fight, ready to try to like find art again. It's just beautiful. And I've been so inspired by how hardworking and positive everyone has stayed throughout this. Similarly, we absolutely understand the need To have those big ticket shows with the familiarity and the sense of joy that comes with some of these larger names it's a great way to get your money back, right? Absolutely. To be able to fund maybe producing some of these lesser known works. So we absolutely understand uh, the financial incentives to do that as well as the way to bring the community back together, rallying around titles that we all know and love. That's really important. And there's no world in which that should be discounted. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, if the choices are to uh, just maintain and return to these larger titles are made from a position of fear right we're afraid we can't get everyone back we're afraid to take a new risk that i think is worth investigating and having a conversation and interesting okay so what's guiding those fears right do we think we won't won't be able to sell do we don't uh do we think we're not going to be able to rally our audiences behind it and there's so many incredible strategies for introducing folks to uh newer pieces, right? We've seen uh, really beautiful life cycles of really, you know, like not expensive uh, programs throughout the year in these these uh, theaters where they're bringing in creators to spend a week working with some actors and no one's really, it's not that expensive to do. Mm-hmm. But pieces uh, get life and they get air breathed into it and new uh, uh, genius heads in the mix with it. And then we've seen you know, the readings of that get sold to the subscribers, interesting, and then people start feeling like they're a part of the creative process. And then we see one or two of those shows get picked up in the full season, the next season, and you have people already spreading the word about it because they feel like they were a part of the underground when the show was just getting up on its feet and excited to come back and see the changes that it's undergone. So I think truly, at least from an audience perspective, the key involves letting the audience feel a sense of personal ownership and like they're a part of it. Right. Like Kyle talks about his sports teams, right? Like, you know, they, they probably won't, I don't know what sports teams are, but you know, when you, when you about, Oh, my Niners, you know, and there's a sense of ownership. Like they got to show up to the game. Like they're a part of it. Like the more we can get folks involved at a deep personal visceral level and create that buy-in, the more um rabid and hungry and excited they are to experience new stuff, right? In knowing that it won't always be a, a blockbuster every single time. And that's okay because they're a part of moving American theater forward. And the, that's huge.
2: Yeah, that's what I was gonna speak to as well, is just the relationship that that theaters have with their communities at at every level, right? I mean, I was involved in a community theater when I was a kid and I had a high school theater program that I was a part of as a kid. And, you know, we have the regional theaters in my city here and at every level, you know, my family and I knew what the programming was at that theater. And we always um, through that relationship, we came to trust the leadership of those theaters to pick shows that would be engaging and meaningful and exciting for us. And sometimes they were right. Those big name shows that we knew was like, mm, this is the, this is the holiday month show. This is, this is so we can fill the seats and the families can come and everyone can bring their relatives that are visiting from out of town. But then we also were very also well aware of, of when we knew it was a smaller, newer show It was picked for a specific reason for our community theater or our school group. And so, you know, I think especially as the whole industry is really taking time to reflect on what we want to be offering people as an art form and how we want to be serving our communities and what do the decision makers look like in our organization? Who are they? Do they represent our community? Right, like all of that trickles down into the programming that we provide. And so, yep. you know, I think as we are actively as an industry trying to make sure that the leadership groups are diverse and representative of our communities, we need to trust that the shows that we select um, are also going to be appealing if they also are representative of our communities, Um So I, you know, I think, I think there's a lot there, but I think I would encourage everyone to trust, trust these people to keep supporting them. You know, the families in your community are waiting to come back to you and they want to be challenged and they want to be thinking about new things and they want to be having conversations about what they just saw and being excited about it. And Disney titles are really fun. Absolutely. Like there is a place for those. Oh,
1: absolutely.
2: But our Disney titles going to keep us talking for weeks after we see them about what we saw on stage and how, you know, it changed the way we thought about right. something. Right. Maybe, maybe not. And right. so I would, yeah, I think there's, there, well, you, you to both- trust that relationship.
1: Absolutely. And you both brought up really such, such important points, Laura. It, it really is not only just the democratization of the internet, but also the, the advent of social media has created a world where we all do feel like we need to be included. We, need, we feel like our voices need to be heard. And that's such an interesting point, I think, for theaters to think about is how are we integrating our communities into our process I think yeah. so for so many years, for so long, theater was sort of this mysterious thing that happened behind a curtain and right. you just sat in the audience and you you experienced something and then you went home. The, the, it's changed so drastically and and in terms of like let's dovetail this into marketing for a minute. In terms of figuring out how to market to new audiences, market to people that n- perhaps may have never walked through the doors of your organization, mm-hmm. that maybe don't feel included or feel like your theater is accessible, when you change the conversation and bring them a topic that is pertinent to their own life, yes. they're gonna, their ears are going to perk up.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's such a tremendous opportunity to bring in a different audience that's right in your community, just embedded right there that you haven't been able to access yet by bringing in content that might resonate with them in a way that some of these older, more familiar titles doesn't. It's thrilling to see the landscape of some of these audiences change, and then how people are sitting in the actual audience reacting to pieces, like not following all of the rules of traditional theatrical and mm-hmm. stuffy audiences. I love it. It just, it feels like there's a vibrancy and life that's coming back to it that we haven't had in a long time, and I think we're just on the, riding the wave into something that's going to be beautiful, and every theater at every level can participate and include this mentality somehow
1: right i would love to turn for a second and talk or maybe more than a second talk about how you've come to your catalog how Mm -hmm. you've Mm -hmm. you've um looked at the pieces that you've looked at and how you've decided what to license and and what is available right now
0: Mm great question it is uh an art and a science uh we have some really specific requirements um many of which are actually up on our website under the contact us page um but we're looking for uh the the pieces that we represent are first of all incredible quality um there is a room for fluff fun and things like that um that's not much of that in our catalog uh we have just excellently crafted plays and musicals. Um, Our our pieces generally center around the lives of characters in their teens through thirties, because that's how we found there's such a large amount of theater makers out there on both sides of the theatrical table uh, that are hungry for new material that really speaks to issues that are relevant to them in ways that don't pl- doesn't play it down or turn it into an after-school special. Um, and all of mm. our pieces have, uh, we want them messy, nuance, complexity, compassion, and my, my favorite, a deep and unrelenting love of humanity. Uh, things that zoom in on all kinds of lives, not just those that we're used to seeing on the main stage. Um, one of the really exciting aspects of being totally digital is we don't have to balance the risk of shipping, printing, storing thousands of copies and like, well, will this pay itself off? Because if we Mm. get a really beautiful piece that would be incredibly challenging to cast, except for the four theaters that are able to do it, we're able to pick it up um, and make it available for the groups that do have those really specific casting requirements. We just really want to democratize the whole process. But um, Truly, like the the through line is incredible quality uh, pieces with nuance, complexity, and that deep love of humanity. Just really messy and wrestles with the good stuff.
1: That's amazing. I mean, and too, you know, the other thing too is that, you know, because you're all digital, I'm... I'm assuming that there's so much more freedom in your ability to rotate in and out of, in in titles and out mm-hmm. titles. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look at your catalog right now, you have some very, very topical pieces mm-hmm. that have a, mm-hmm. a, a pertinent and immediacy right now uh, in our world that give theaters the opportunity to tell a story and have it be relevant to a situation or an experience that we're all having. I'm, th- you know, I'm thinking about, you know, Prospect High Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, yeah. a piece. I would want to you Mind talking about that a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Um, Prospect, ahead, uh, Prospect High Brooklyn is uh, our brand new acquisition. We just got it in the catalog. Um, it's, It's an absolutely stunning piece that was uh, formed over several years with students in New York City public high schools uh, through interviewing them and talking about what are your lives actually like, you know, and Mm -hmm. and extrapolating and theatricalizing stories based on absolute true events. Uh, This piece absolutely crackles with real. Human good stuff in a way that, oh my goodness, so few pieces are able to do. Um, the It is a 90 minute long piece and it starts in real time with a news conference about a awful violent event that happens at a high school. And then the next 90 minutes is watching in real time the 90 minutes leading up to that event. And it's mm-hmm. messy and conflicted and awful and you don't know who to root for because there are no good or bad guys in the real world and that's it investigates all of that this piece was beautiful it had a the first rolling world premiere of high schools a few years ago where it went all across the country and got grappled with um with all sorts of different programs uh and they all got to experience it which was so so special and we're so excited to have it in the catalog but talking about really tough stuff yes Violence in schools is awfully, awfully important right now. I'm horrified at what we have been dealing with as a nation and having pieces like this to turn to for catharsis and understanding and an investigation of these issues in a way that's safe um, is really important right now.
2: I was gonna say it's it's um a sad state of affairs when <laughs> julie said you have such you have you have such a topical piece right now and i actually was thinking of a different piece yep. than, <laughs> than this one <laughs> um my my head went right to abortion road abortion trip. trip that's right mm-hmm. yeah by by rachel lynette who just won the yale drama prize um yep. and uh, it's you know also incredibly topical incredibly poignant this beautiful piece um about women crossing state lines for, because they need to to seek out healthcare that's not available to them in their state. And it's heartbreaking and it's um, got those moments of humor and it is just such a great way for a community to, you know, sit down and explore something and unpack something and th- that maybe they have not found a good way in yet to that conversation or a good way to think about it yet. And yeah. Just, just such a beautiful piece that, that we're really excited about
1: theater makers are, they, I know we wrestle in, we have two sides of our heads. It's like we're a world of Gemini's, but we have two be <laughs> two. There's a part of our brains, a part of our heart and our soul that believes that our art needs to, to push forward thinking and push forward stories and experiences and help our audiences grow, learn and change and trust. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just might I have to tip my hat to you guys because you are really um, encapsulating that in in your portfolio. You know, it isn't easy to um, necessarily immediately think that that's the hat you want to put on this season, but it's necessary. And uh, from a marketing perspective, going back to the what we talked about earlier, it is so critical that your audience is along with you because they trust you, they know you and they like you and they believe that you will put something onto your stage that they yeah. know that they will walk away with an experience that is changing them or entertaining them or both.
2: Mm. And there's and there's a strategy and a dance to that, right? Mm-hmm. If you're if your theater is interested in in putting up something like abortion road trip, but you're apprehensive or concerned, then you know you can be very strategic with how you set up your season
1: right mm-hmm. where can
2: you where can you put this and what shows can you put this in between that is going to keep your subscribers your season ticket subscribers happy or is going to make you feel confident that it, there's not um you know an exposure there that makes you uncomfortable as a, a business right <laughs> so right right exactly and and you know i think um we've seen we've heard from folks that are apprehensive and have said, Hey, what if we did this as a staged reading instead, right? Where it's not going to get the full blown budget that maybe one of our main stage productions would get, but we still think the story is really important and we want to kind of get a temperature from our community of how that's going to land. That's great. It's still a story that's worth being told. Right. And and budget for that in a way that's going to make you and your theater feel safe and comfortable.
1: Exactly. And wow. You know, that is, that is a, that's finding a challenge and finding a solution for it. You know, maybe it is a staged reading, maybe it is a smaller group experience, a smaller group project. That's, that's absolutely 100% right. I have to ask you uh, about one more title. Um, It being Judy Garland's 100th birthday. this (laughs) this <laughs> this week um i certainly my eye certainly went to uh a title that you are releasing this fall i believe called yeah. the, hippest, the hippest wizard of oz are you able to tell us some more about that
2: yeah yeah I, it, it's such a um so this this whole journey with hippest Wiz started because we just really fell in love with these creators um Jay kyle manze and ron veo daniel and javaris myrick these three have done um just some really great stories. They did uh, a piece called "Ila" that was also known as once upon a rhyme. They just, they have this beautiful work and it, it just didn't necessarily fit um, kind of what we were looking for when we were launching uproar. And so we just kind of reached out to them and said, what other ideas do you have? And they said, Hey, we just got started on this one. Um, that we're really excited about, you know, we're all from different neighborhoods and we want to tell the story of Dorothy D from the Bronx who works at her parents' record company, but doesn't have the appreciation of her, her culture that she should have as a young, a young teenager. And so she gets swept off into the hippest wizard of Oz, where she learns to appreciate her culture and get her, you know, she's got to find her, uh, her ruby red Adidas. So she can click her heels and, and come back and, yeah, so they're, these, they're just so much admiration for these three. They're, they use hip-hop, they use R&B, they, their storytelling is just really captivating. And so this fall, actually, it's being workshopped and developed um, with the Fordham High School of the Arts in the Bronx. And so they're working with those uh. students um, this fall as they as they workshop it. They're doing a workshop in August, and then they're going to continue to develop it, and hopefully it'll premiere um, spring of 23 as Fordham school of the arts spring musical. So we're, we're really excited about that.
1: one. That sounds like it needs an HBO max documentary. Amen. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> these, these creators, I
0: mean, they the, the work that they're consistently producing on top of all the other projects, like Greenwood was the other musical. Mm-hmm.
2: Pre- oh, thank you. Yeah. Greenwood.
0: Yeah, which is this gorgeous investigation of um, the Tulsa race massacre in 1921 and Black Wall Street. And oh, Mm -hmm. my goodness, it's a a stunning piece. But yeah, this oh, boy, watch out for this creative team, y'all. Goodness. That's awesome. Well, I think, you know, one thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about how do you gain consensus and get the key decision makers on board with putting newer material into your season? Because getting your audiences on board is an entirely different story than getting your boards on board, Mm -hmm. as it were. Um, And depending on their backgrounds, you know, it might be a little bit tougher of a sell or it's just about finding ways to communicate with them. But I think one of the really important things to remember is it's really great for a theater to be on the ground floor of a newer piece and help put wind at its sails and watch mm-hmm. it move across the country. That that really means something. I think when, when you want to take a good hard look at your mission statements and figure out how, if, if you do want to help move American theater forward, helping a newer piece along the way like this and paying these artists so they can continue to write and work. So we don't end up with just the old catalog, right? That's wildly important and brings a lot of, I mean, pats on the back to a theater, in my opinion, like when I'm researching Mm -hmm. some of these incredible smaller theaters that are doing just gorgeous work. Like I take note, we take note of who has uh, developed pieces there. It's really an important part of helping the trajectory of American theater move forward.
1: Where can podcast listeners and can we learn more about you, more, more, learn more about Uproar?
0: You can head on over to the website, uproartheatrics.com, uh, and you can peruse all of our pieces for free right away. Uh, so read to your heart's content. Uh, and, and with a lot of other licensing houses, don't be afraid to reach out if you have questions. We love the matchmaking opportunity of... Mm. Here is our subscriber base. They like this show and this show. We tried this show it Bombed. What do you think, like, what would fit in our season next season between these shows? We love that game. Um, and a lot of other licensing houses have those resources available, too. So don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions uh, about those kinds of things, because they're free resources of people who are experts on this material. So don't be afraid at all. Uh, you can get us on Instagram, Upper Theatrics, as well as Facebook, uh, you can find us anywhere you want us to be, baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And you're also going to be, uh, if you're listening to this podcast in the month of June, uh, Upward Theatrics will also be uh, at the International Thespian Festival. So look for them there.
0: Absolutely. We're so excited. We're teaching a bunch as well, which uh, we're really looking forward to.
2: I have worked with an amazing nonprofit called Art Equity And their leadership team, and they are working with um, community and professional uh, and amateur theater creators and boards all over the country to help move theater as an industry forward as a more equitable and inclusive and representative space. And I was a member of their first national board cohort, which... It was like a three day intensive where we met. There were, you know, 30 or 40 of us from all over the country, from theaters everywhere, that met and, you know, really did some some hard work on how we as a predominantly white industry need to do better and what that work looks like to bring more people to the table and ensure that other people have more agency and in, in some of this decision making. So I would encourage everyone to if that's something that you're passionate about or something that you're interested in it's artequity.org and it's a the work that they're doing is is really really important and it's so hyper focused on what we're talking about in our industry. And I think that's really invaluable.
1: Well, you two are perfect guests because the perfect guests always teach me something. <laughs> and um, I did not yet know about uh, about Artequity.org. And so now I get to dive into myself and find out all about it. I'm really excited about that. Thank you, Kyle.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I love to end every podcast interview with two fast, quick mystery questions. So are you guys, are you guys game? We're ready. Okay okay um the first question is to laura what was the first live theatrical experience that you remember
0: this is an easy one i think i was very very little about five and i saw the nutcracker which is a ballet and uh, apparently i just kept asking when are they going to start talking
1: <laughs> i mm-hmm. love it kyle what about you do you remember what your first experience I-
2: I, I mean, it was probably also the Nutcracker or it would have been a community theater show. And where Laura and I grew up, there was a really big holiday Nutcracker ballet performance that kind of everybody went to and so i would not be surprised if it was that yeah okay
1: now wait a minute you two grew up in the same area are you friends we are (laughs) oh well then i must hear how do you guys know one another
2: we so laura and i went to rival high schools real real rival theater departments as you can imagine (laughs) but um we actually grew up going to the same fine arts summer camp every year, Sugarloaf Fine Arts Camp. And so uh-huh. we both did theater there and Laura's a few years older than me. So um, there was at one point where she was my theater teacher uh, <laughs> and, nice. and, and then, yeah, we've, and then obviously since then we've been theater teachers together, colleagues teaching and um, so this will actually be um, This summer will be my 20th year Going to this camp And I don't know oh. how long Laura's been going Longer than me
0: A little bit, yeah, That's
2: yeah. A, yeah.
0: It, it, It's a really cool opportunity, Julie To watch uh, both of us grow up as artists And continue to collaborate And watch that relationship deepen And get even more exciting It's quite a, a pleasure That's awesome
1: Okay, the second question and the last question Is the hardest one if Boy. you could only if you could only name one, what is your favorite play or musical? Woo!
2: <laughs> You're
0: a monster!
1: <laughs> oh
2: goodness!
0: Sunday in the Park with George.
2: Okay, why?
0: I'm a big sucker for arts genres crossing into each other and smashing into each other. So. Um, singing about pointillism I mean come on it's just so nuanced and just like why everyone loves Sondheim it's like the older I get the more I have a Rosetta Stone to unlock the meaning and the nuance it's just a stunning piece
1: oh my gosh we need to be friends forever yes I feel the exact same way about Sondheim what about you Kyle
2: oh man I will my, my musicals are always changing so I'll go to I'll go to play just Ooh. to be to be different than Laura <laughs> um I, I think i Long Day's Journey Into Night is the play that just lives in some place in my head all the time, forever. And I just it's such a the way that Eugene O'Neill captures family and family dynamics and what pain and trauma within families looks like, but then also is able to, you know, celebrate some of the more the more nuanced parts. I don't know. It's just, it's always that play. I, I taught it every other year to my students. Um, I've seen it, you know, anywhere that it pops up near me. And it's just that play that, yeah, always resonates with me. It's, it's a real depressing one to only see it forever. <laughs> and, and, and I don't, I don't think I want to see it forever, but that's, that's the play that I think has definitely um, had the largest impact on me. If 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 I had to say musical, I would not that you're giving me two answers. but... Uh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we have a we have a piece in our catalog called "The Unfortunates" um, that I saw for the first time at Oregon Shakespeare Festival, like I don't know, ten years ago or something now, and uh, then it had a run at, at ACT, and and now it's in our catalog. And um, it is I've I've never seen a musical that. Yeah, has just stirred so much inside of so many people that they couldn't explain, if that makes sense. You know, it's Mm. one of those shows where everybody walked out and went, I have no idea what that was. I don't know how to articulate it, but I am so moved by what we all just experienced together. And I'm going to think about this and talk about this for a long time. And that is the musical that did that to me so much so that I sought it out and made it you know the first it was it was truly the first thing in our in our catalog because it just has meant so much to me that i was like we need to help this story find its its way in the world
1: and then here's what's wonderful about the uproar model you anyone that's listening to this podcast can actually go to UproarTheatrics.com and read the unfortunates for free (laughs)
2: Woo-hoo! <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's what we're going for.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Laura and Kyle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you thank so you for much.
2: for having us. So great.
1: And keep up the
0: good work, everyone out there. We're really impressed and proud and honored to be a part of this community.
1: Well, there you have it. Didn't I tell you you'd be impressed and inspired? Now, I want you to head on over to uproartheatrics.com and check out one of the titles we talked about today, Maybe there's another one that sounds interesting to you. And the great thing about Uproar is you simply can download it and read it for free. So until next time, remember, just like Uproar Theatrics, Kyle Holmes and Laura Hall and myself, let's keep working to keep theater moving forward, friends. Take care.